Hi, this is Liz Weaver, and you are listening to the Learning Success Podcast, an information-packed podcast with the latest news, information, and tips to help you overcome a learning difficulty. For anyone suffering from a reading difficulty, writing difficulty, a math difficulty, a focus problem, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, or ADHD, this is the place for you. The Learning Success Podcast is brought to you by LearningSuccessSystem.com. Now, let me tell you about our host, Emily Sir. Emily is an educator and childcare professional with international teaching experience. She has taught English as a second language, tutored the fine arts, and various other positions with kids all over the globe, including Spain, South Korea, and most recently, Australia. She received a Bachelor of Arts in English and Sociology in 2012 and has done extensive academic research, which has been published on multiple occasions. In addition to all of these things, Emily has dyslexia and ADHD and therefore has a greater understanding of the need for an open forum on these subjects and the impact they have on today's educational atmosphere. So, without further ado, welcome to this edition of the Learning Success Podcast with Emily Sir. And here's Emily. Welcome back, everyone. As always, happy to have you. This week, we're going to be discussing, once again, two separate topics with a break in the middle, same as last week. The two topics are somewhat related, the first being dyscalculia, what it is, how it affects the learning of math, and how to overcome it. The second topic will be on a similar note, as we will be delving into the root causes of math difficulty in general, and not just that caused by dyscalculia. So as you can see, it is related, but not entirely the same. To start with, let's define dyscalculia. On the Learning Success website, there is a post that is dedicated entirely to the explanation of dyscalculia and how it works in a student's brain. Most simply put, it is dyslexia for numbers. Columns and rows become switched, nines flip over to become sixes, and vice versa. All kinds of nasty things like that happen when the student with dyscalculia tries to work math problems. Why don't we just call it dyslexia? That seems like it would be easier. Here's the main difference, though. With dyslexia, You generally know when you are experiencing the effects. Sentences don't make sense, events are happening out of order, fragments, and so on. With dyscalculia, there is absolutely no way for the student to know whether or not they are reading the problem correctly. For example, say a student has a worksheet with a simple math problem, 6 plus 9. The answer, obviously, is 15. However, if the student has dyscalculia, they could read it as the equally simple problem of 9 plus 9. This causes their answer to be 18. It's still technically correct. It's not an error in calculation, but an error in reading. However, how can you tell? There are no context clues in basic math to let you know you are on the wrong track. If you misread a word, you can generally correct it later with the help of context. If you missee a number, your entire problem is messed up. This problem can follow students all the way up into advanced math. These children may actually be good at math and calculation, They simply have problems with printed number problems. A good way to test this is oral math exams. Ask your student a variety of math problems, perhaps even ones they've gotten wrong on worksheets. 
If they answer with little difficulty, even using scratch paper, chances are it's a visual and not a calculation error. As a side note, simply piling on more printed maths worksheets won't help the student. It will only frustrate them. A personal analogy from my educational experience is reading music. Reading sheet music to a song you are well acquainted with is like reading with dyslexia. You have context clues that let you know when you've made an error, because you know how the song is supposed to sound. If you hit a sour note, you know to double-check that you've read the note correctly. Reading sheet music to a song you've never heard before is like doing math problems with dyscalculia. You have no point of reference or context clues to let you know you've hit a wrong note. You simply assume that's how the song goes, and you keep making the same mistakes, without knowing why. Regarding the usefulness of additional worksheets, when I was at university, I was in the music program. After learning of my dyslexia and my difficulty reading music, the department chair, who was my main piano instructor, shuffled me off into a corner office during private lesson time to constantly practice reading sheet music. It was simple, basic stuff. Elementary, even. And as an advanced university student with a background in complex pieces, I felt more and more embarrassed the further into the semester I got. Not only did it do no favors to my self-esteem, it actually worsened my sheet music reading as I constantly feared making errors in the music. And since I was in there most of the time by myself, I knew that I was making plenty of errors and not realizing it. All that these simple exercises were doing were increasing my anxiety levels and decreasing my faith in my own abilities. I eventually dropped out of the program. That was almost six years ago, and I haven't really played since. Music is another huge area that students with dyslexia and dyscalculia will face unusual amounts of frustration in. They may have great audio and performance skills, but they will get hung up on reading music for the exact reasons mentioned above. They don't know when they've hit a wrong note, and they don't know how to correct it. Back on the subject matter, dyscalculia can be alleviated the same as dyslexia, except instead of piling on more frustrating worksheets that don't help, perhaps try brain activities that target the visual centers of the brain. This will help students with dyscalculia at the root of their learning disorder. Another more severe form of dyscalculia is more than just misreading numbers. It is the development, or lack of development, in the brains of 5% of children that lead them to be unable to process mathematical concepts. Another learning success article entitled, Here's How Children with Dyscalculia Get Better at Math, goes further in-depth on this type of dyscalculia. The example in the article, written by author Kara Skarda, is one that presents as early as six months old. If the infant is watching a puppet show, seeing three shadows on the curtain before the start, they will show surprise if the curtain is lifted to reveal five puppets. The infant with dyscalculia, however, will show no surprise. Concepts like more or less are not yet comprehensible to them and will take much longer to develop in their brains. They will need repeated correlation between numbers and math and the real world, much more than the average child, in order to grasp the connection with concepts such as more and less. Even though simply pointing out numbers and quantities isn't quite sufficient, it's a good start. If you're interested, there is a link to a comprehensive list by Dr. Robert Needleman in the article. Beyond that, here at Learning Success, we strive to match students with specific activities and exercises to help them overcome their disorders. If you'd like to use the online analysis tool, also linked to in the article, that might be worth looking at too. Time for a short break, and when we come back, we'll take a closer look at possible other causes of math difficulties, the effects of these alternative triggers, 
and how to help students overcome math difficulties in general. For decades, the world thought that our brains would never change, that we were stuck with the brains we were born with. But modern neuroscience has turned that old belief on its head. We can change our brains. So if you or someone you know suffers from a difficulty in reading, reading comprehension, writing, spelling, or math, you can change that. Maybe you've been diagnosed with dyslexia, dyscalculia, or dysgraphia. There's hope. Modern science calls this neuroplasticity, the ability for our brains to form new neurons and new neural connections. No one knows everything about neuroplasticity yet. It's pretty cutting edge science. However, a lot of evidence suggests that certain body exercises can trigger it. We call these exercises bilateral coordination exercises or BCEs. We've put a lot of BCEs in the learning success system. If you've been struggling for years trying to overcome a learning difficulty, if you've tried everything, then the answer might be the learning success system. Get rid of that I'm just not good at dot 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 attitude and start making a change for the better. If your solution has been to just try harder, there's an easier way. If you have a difficulty in reading, writing, spelling, or math, there's an underlying cause. If you don't get at that underlying cause, then just trying harder only leads to frustration. The learning success system breaks down the components of learning. You'll find the weak spots and work on them. Instead of studying harder, find the underlying cause. Sure, that's a little work, but it's so much less work than suffering with the learning difficulty for a lifetime. Get started on the learning success system today. Go to www.learningsuccesssystem.com. I'll see you there. Next up, we'll be discussing math difficulty in general and not just that caused by a learning disorder. Certain fundamental skills can greatly affect a student's abilities in mathematical areas. On the Learning Success site, an article entitled, How Does a Lack of Fundamental Skills Affect Learning Math?, there is a list of skills that can be enhanced to improve not only math capabilities, but learning capability in general. They are broken down into three categories, visual, memory, and movement. The first two are fairly intuitive. Visual and memory are key factors in the learning of math, but movement? That is perhaps slightly more complex. The issue here isn't so much that movement, such as cross-lateral movement and large muscle movement, will necessarily improve addition skills. Cross-lateral movement engages both sides of the brain, increasing blood flow and increasing awareness. This can help improve focus and concentration, allowing the student to more easily focus on the addition tables. Other movement skills, like large muscle movement, work in a similar fashion, stimulating the brain in a positive way and giving focus to pent-up energy. As far as visual skills, there are four main ones the article discusses. Processing, tracking, memory, and discrimination. For visual processing, this is the most basic skill. Being able to see and understand or process what you are seeing. A solid foundation in this skill will help students be able to understand relative sizes, magnitude, shapes, and position. It can also help them better to differentiate between likenesses and differences, an important skill in math and other subjects. Visual tracking is very much linked to dyslexia and certain forms of dyscalculia. This involves their eyes tracking the words, letters, or numbers in the proper order. 
This is a hugely important skill no matter what subject you're studying. Visual memory is, as the article states, the ability to remember what you have seen. For problem solving in math, this is important because it is so easy to get confused if you don't remember what you've seen, especially in such cases as carrying numbers or division. The last of the visual skills discussed is discrimination, the ability to discern shape, size, and color. Geometry and trigonometry are both heavily shape-oriented, and even basic math uses shapes, for instance, the use of pie charts with fractions. The memory fundamental skills are as follows, auditory and working memory, perceptual and spatial skills, and visual motor integration. Auditory and working memory is the ability to retain information that you've heard or thought of for an extended period of time. For example, if you want to count up from 10 to 20, you have to be able to multitask and remember not only what number you're counting up from, but what number you are counting to. Students with a low working memory may forget their place and have to start again, or forget which number they are counting up to before they get there. It is extremely important that students have a solid auditory and working memory for learning purposes. Perceptual and spatial skills are important because it helps them see more than one object and how they relate to each other. This helps them to more easily process relative shapes and angles, a skill that will be important throughout math, but particularly in geometry and trig. Visual motor integration is the final skill in the article. It's basically hand-eye coordination. This one is key for copying notes, say from a blackboard or a workbook. If the student has weak visual motor integration skills, they may find it difficult to make these types of notations, even if they know how to do the problems themselves. To top the session off, let's discuss how to help. We've already discussed various ways students can fail, so let's shift to how they can succeed at math. Key in the process is remembering to praise them when they do something right. All too often, we only remember to point out when students get something wrong. If you want them to think that they can do it, you have to remind them when they do things right as well. Once you've ascertained that the student believes they can learn, you can begin working on the fundamental skills necessary for math problem solving. Specific suggestions listed in the article to ensure your student grasps the mathematical concepts are as follows. Use blank paper for less distractions. Break it down step by step. Say the steps as you do them together. Use different colors for each step. Give immediate feedback. Don't wait to tell them when they've made an error or done something right. And finally, practice, practice, and more practice. The more a student rehearses these steps, especially with your support, the more routine they will become. There are many other ways you can help your math-troubled student, and the article has a list that even includes some games. The material point is that there is always a way to help the student improve. Thank you for listening to the Learning Success Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. We also hope you have learned something useful, something that you can take back and improve your life with today. If you would like to say thank you, the best way for you to do that is to share this podcast with a friend. Help us help others along this journey. And if you haven't already, please rate and comment on the podcast. Every rating helps us and helps this podcast get out to more people. We appreciate it, and we appreciate you. Thank you again, and make today a great day. No one should have to live with a learning difficulty.